0: I believe we have to get over names and titles and start to <laughs> recognise people's anointing. Uh, we can call someone a pastor, an evangelist, even a rabbi. But we can't call someone a prophet or an apostle. And I believe in this time we have to begin to recognise um, those those elements, those titles, because we are. Uh, or we, we, we really need the reemergence of the, the apostolic ministry in the body of Messiah. And we have before us uh, really not just an apostolic thinker, um, but um, he truly has an apostolic anointing for the state of Connecticut. And I have uh, ridden and spent many, many hours with Greg and uh, he loves this state, he knows everything about this state, he knows the the signs on the highways and the universities and every font that every Christian has been connected to and um, not only that, he carries this unbelievable revelation and burden for the church to come out of Babylon in the area of finance and I have seen and lived out and watched my brother go through some extraordinary personal circumstances where his life is is challenged on a day-to-day basis and he is um, just the Lord's grace has enabled him to rise above to be able to wrought, The Holy Spirit has wrought this message that you're about to hear in his own life. It is personally hand printed into his heart and spirit. And the Lord is going to raise up this man to trumpet this message into the body of Messiah and help us to come out of this financial system that the enemy still has grips and control of. It's my pleasure and my honor to introduce the other half of the Connecticut One men. Great here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you, Grant. Good to be with you all. Lord. Lord, thank you for our time together here in Northfield. Thank you for this 10-day summit, Lord. Thank you for my Jewish brethren. And Jesus, we just uh, submit ourselves to you. You are the captain of our ship. You are the head of the guard. You are the lead of the host. And uh, just would you lead us and guide us, even my words today, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Yeah, and I just want to submit myself to you guys, even as the Word talks about submitting ourselves to one another, for we are a part of one body. And in delivering this message, I just want to submit myself to you as I submit myself to the Lord. Um, So, really, what's on my heart to share with you today, as Grant alluded to, is this concept of coming out of Babylon. And I'm going to start in 2001 rather than give you my full testimony which I gave last year a little bit uh, more of that. But in 2001, I was in uh, San Francisco, California, out working at the time for Morgan Stanley and I was out with my boss. We I was in investment banking then and we were calling on some of the major banks commercially in our country and the world. Wells Fargo was one and Bank of America was another. And we were meeting with their leadership to talk about what their particular prospects were for the future and uh, who their potential merger partners might be and what capital they would need to raise and so forth. But during that time, in 2001, the financial markets had really taken a tumble. Uh, If you remember the tech bubble burst in the year 2000 with the peak being in March of 2000. Everyone was hopeful on Wall Street, as you can tell. My background's Wall Street, among other things. And everyone was hopeful for this turnaround, but it never happened. And 2001, people were getting laid off all over the place. Corporations were struggling. We were entering into uh, recession. So I was concerned for the first time in my life that. Lord, what's going on? Am I going to have a job here? Is this, is, this, uh, is this something I should be concerned with? And the reason I had started asking those questions is because my boss had said to me, hey, would you like to go get a uh, drink after work? And this is the first time he had ever asked me that question like that, because we had never spent time together really after work. And so immediately, my flag went up. Bing! OK, what does this mean? What's going to happen here? And it concerned me so much that I took it to prayer. I went to my knees. I was praying somewhere up on the 40th floor of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel, and I was praying, Lord, I've never been in this position before. I don't know what it feels like. Like my career had gone uh, exceptionally well, and all my heart's desire had always been a worker. I always worked. Um, from being a kid in high school, I worked full time at a computer store as an assistant manager, and it was my—it was like part of my DNA, was to work hard, and God had granted me much success. But this is the first time I would ever felt vulnerable, so I was praying and crying out to the Lord, Lord, what does this mean? What am I going to do? Am I going to lose my job? And He brings me to Isaiah 52 and Grant had just brought that scripture up. I mean, he he may not remember or I just made the connection and perhaps this is our work, part of our working together that the very watchman call of intercession for the Jewish people to return to Zion and Jerusalem also is a call out of Babylon. It is a call out of Babylon. So I get the scripture Isaiah 52 Come out, come out, depart from there. Touch no unclean thing. For I'll be your foreguard and your rear. You will not leave in haste. You will not leave in flight. And this brought comfort to me at the time because I'm applying it to my job. And basically, God's saying, I'm, I'm taking you out of Morgan Stanley, and I'm gonna. It's gonna be okay. And you're not gonna leave in haste. You're not gonna leave in flight. It's gonna be okay. And that brought me great comfort at the time. Little did I know the prophetic meaning of that scripture and the deeper meaning of that, which then unfolded later in my life. And that is a parallel scripture to Revelation 18. So remember, Jonathan, talking about Revelation 18 being a paraphrase of the phrase he heard. And to fast forward from that 2001 to 2010, Rick McInnes introduced us and said, hey, I know this guy who lives a crazy financial faith trust walk like you do. You guys should meet. There's only a person, another person I know that's like that or something like that. And so we went to a Vision New England meeting, a unity meeting together, and then we met. And I was sharing a little bit of my heart, and Jonathan shared this phrase, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before my return. And I was like, no way, man, like I've been studying Babylon, like I've really been pressing in on this. This is now nine years later. Um, And so that's like how we got knitted together in the heart, was over this issue of Babylon. What what does it mean, this coming out of Babylon? And so back to 2001, a month later, 9-11 happened. And I had grown up being a red blooded, young American, conservative Republican, all for capitalism and just the, the freedom and liberty to do whatever we would want it to do as individuals and in business and be successful. That was my dream too. And when 9-11 hit, I had a reaction like perhaps many of you would have or other people in the city did or around the, or around the country, which was, how dare? would these terrorists attack us like this? How dare would they fly our own airplanes into these towers? How dare they? We are America. We are God's country. And I had a perspective of, let's rebuild those towers even bigger and bolder, because that's the patriotic thing to do. That's what we do as Americans. We're not going to let, just like in World War II, we're not going to let tyranny rule over us. And you remember it was a patriotic time. so. When that happened, I was in the city. I was going to fly transcontinental back out to the west coast for more client work. And of course, my plane flight got canceled that day. But I had an intercessory assignment walking from Grand Central Station to our headquarters on 46th and Broadway. And it was to pray for, specifically, the Morgan Stanley employees in those two towers. For I was part of a team that was, integral in merging with Dean Witter back in 1997 and in a lot of ways my career path kind of wove through that merger into this career in investment banking and we had merged with Dean Witter. All of the Dean Witter employees, the retail side of the business, the stockbroking side of the business, they were all based in the World Trade Towers. We were the largest tenant in those towers. I think three or four thousand people is how many employees we had there. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to pray for the Morgan Stanley employees in those buildings as we saw them on fire, as we saw the smoke rising. And um, so that's what I did. I, I walked to our headquarters praying that prayer. And I met my barber in the, in the first floor of the, of the building. And everyone was hitting the exits. I said, what's going on? He said, where did you come from? I said, Grand Central. He said, turn around right now and leave. Immediately, there's no place for you here. And everyone's flooding out the exit. So I said, "Okay, this is good advice. I turn back to the train station. I walk back. I'm praying for everybody in the towers. I'm praying specifically for the Morgan Stanley employees. I catch the last train out of Manhattan that day. And it was chaos. People were on their phones trying to call their loved ones. Never before was it like this in New York City never since has it been like this people were just their mouths were dropped open they were gaping at the towers no one knew what to do people were freaking out all the normal stuff the busyness of the day and all of that that happens every day in new york that was not happening that day everything that people cared about in the day-to-day affairs that was not happening that day people were fearing for their lives they were wondering what does this mean you may remember the pentagon was hit there was the other Pennsylvania plane that was down. People I mean, people thought it was the end of the world in a sense. And in a sense, it was a warning of you know, the end of the world. And this is what I want to get into. So I now have a different perspective on the meaning of 9-11, what happened. Perhaps you share with me. There is another Jewish rabbi named Jonathan Kahn. He speaks about this and writes about this in the Harbinger, which was a prophetic revelation of what 9-11 was about. That through Isaiah 9:10, God was warning us as a nation, you know, you are astray from me and this is a warning to come back and return to me. For you have a covenant like Israel did and you are in violation of this covenant. And I'm sending you a stern warning to have you return to me. And this is what we're praying for. This is what we're praying for when we pray for revival, is the return in the United States, is the return of the United States back to God. So little did I know that our systems, our financial systems, our financial markets, our banking system, they're all tied together. We have a capital structure in the United States at every level, personal level, corporate level, governmental level, that is a debt-based structure. And we know from scripture, that the borrower is servant to the lender. And God's people are not called to be slaves unto anything other than our Lord. We're not called to be slaves to debt. We're not called to be slaves to a Babylonian system. The system is not innocent. Uh, Wall Street is driven, and no one's gonna argue with this, by fear and greed. You can watch the movie Wall Street and hear Gordon Gekko make his case for why greed is good. Well, greed is not good. It's a sin. And fear is not good. It's also sin. So God's calling us to recognize that the very thing that makes our economy go and how we function on a day-to-day basis, even money, is not innocent. We need to be aware. So God doesn't want us caught unawares Because we are a lot closer than we would think to the fulfillment of the scripture also in Revelation of you have to have the mark of the beast. You have to be aligned with an antichrist kingdom in order in the future to be able to transact, to be able to have economy, to be able to buy and sell, says the word. So what we're probably not aware of is we're a lot closer to that than you might imagine. We are conditioned to be a part of our financial system. Perhaps you pay for all of your things, as I often do, with a plastic a credit card, a debit card. These are interconnected systems that are tied into the Federal Reserve Banking system, which is backed by our publicly traded debt markets, which is also tied to the other financial markets. And in and of themselves, Bunny, these markets, they're just price discovery mechanisms, they're tools. The problem is when they uh, get spirits behind them that are of God, given over by the sin of men, they become instruments of slavery and can be problematic. And the real thing that I discovered going through this process of God taking me out of one institution, then I went to Deutsche Bank, and then Deutsche Bank spun us out, and we had our own hedge fund. And I thought we were just going to create this hedge fund with my partners, make a lot of money, give it to the kingdom. That's what I grew up in the church learning how to do, Um, is you make your money and you give it to God. You sow into the kingdom, which in and of itself sounds pretty good. But how do you make your money? How do we make our money? How is our economy run? We have to ask those tough questions. And the biggest thing that I think God showed me through my process our process as a family is we had to, God God gave us this company, then the company ended up, all the wheels fell off the bus. We had uh, outstanding amount of capital to manage, um, good client roster, good returns, good, everything seemed to be lined up perfectly fine. but And God said, I am giving you your company as your ministry. That's what I'm doing with this. Stick with it. Stick with the company. It's your ministry. So st- what that meant for me was as the wheels came off of our bus in this business, and we went from great high hopes and expectations and profitability to losses, to removing of our clients, to not being able to receive our fund, uh, my partners left. They said, we got to go back to Wall Street. We've got to make our money. We've got to take care of our families. God told me to stick it out. He told me to stay. He said, trust me, I'm going to do something with this. And so we trusted him until all of our savings was exhausted, until all of our resources came to an end, until all of my strength was totally depleted. And then God said, would you go further? Would you go all the way? Would you continue to trust me even when you can't, when you don't have any more money, when you don't have any more resources, you don't have an ability to get yourself out of the problem, you don't have an ability right now to turn, turn a profit. Will you still trust me? And so we said yes. And what that meant was we went off our own financial cliff. And we were faced with a situation of going from a cash flow requirement for, our, uh, for the business, for the, our homes, for our family, We went from forty thousand in our giving. We went from forty thousand dollars a month after tax to zero, absolute zero. No backup, no additional credit. We exhausted all of our available credit and so forth. And God showed up. Miracles started to happen. I we had to relearn and reprocess. God said to me, "I'm going to have to teach you new tricks." I'm going to have to show you how you don't need money to live. You're not going to die if you don't have any. I can do anything with nothing. And so God came through. He came through in forgiving debts. He came through in extraordinary ways of people, unsolicited people giving gifts. He came through in all sorts of creative ways that I never would have imagined were possible. But with God, all things are possible. It's mission impossible, just like Jonathan said. And that's this is like a prophetic forerunning, I believe, for our nation. We're going to have to learn what it's like to be able to live and survive, even if we don't have any money. It's kind of like having your hands tied behind your back, Or prophetically I was shown my arm, my right arm being cut off at the shoulder, which is like a removal of our strength. It was a removal of my strength. <clears throat> but God said he would make a way. He did. We had... Uh, mortgages, two mortgages that were forgiven. We had banks paying us in the face of not being able to pay our bills. We had insurance companies cutting us checks that made no sense. We had people sending us things that you would have never expected. I mean, God can make a way where there is no way. He gave us even food and gas and groceries and basic and essentials through relationship only. No money and he was showing us, this is how you do it. This is why I love business, Greg, is it's people helping people. It's not about the system. It's not about the money in the system. Our system has become more and more so depersonalized. If you've ever tried to go get a financial product from your bank or whether it's a mortgage or another debt product, there's not a lot of people you can talk to about your troubles when things happen. That's not like that anymore. You know, you could talk to a customer service specialist who's authorized to do nothing. Okay? And so, think about it. We have come into now, like everything is credit score driven. We've got apps for credit scores. You can't get a job without a good credit score. You can't rent a place without a credit score. Guess what? The credit scoring system is not a healthy kingdom system. It's not. What does it do? It shows you how to behave as the best slave you can be to service your debt. Congratulations, you have a great credit score. You're the best slave we have. And so when we couldn't pay our bills, I was saying, God, don't you care about my credit score? (laughs) Because you know I thought, like many of us think, we're conditioned to think, well, being a good steward is having a good credit score. They're the same thing. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. We've become more and more accustomed to and sensitized to and conditioned to just get in line and do what you need to do. You want to do ministry? You need income. You want to do something for God? You've got to have capital. Here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with using those things. It's not about a religious test. Notice, though, in the scripture, Jesus had a money box He never really used the money box in the scripture. He used other means of kingdom resource. We need to rediscover our roots and our inheritance. And even in America, where everything's done through the almighty dollar, God can still do things totally supernaturally. Heidi Baker has seen food multiply in Mozambique. She's seen a vision, is my understanding, of America having food lines and shortages. Requiring us to trust God again like they do in Mozambique. She saw people with I guess Lexuses, Range Rovers, fancy cars, fancy clothes, all of the material things that we have, but not food. And we needed help. Okay, so there is, I believe, and Dave Warren's going to talk about this later, there is a coming shaking. I think, uh, was it Derek said earlier when we were worshipping, he came up here. Talked about a shaking. Okay? Why? Because we were declaring the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We're talking about two different kingdoms that are in conflict. One doesn't make it. Babylon doesn't make it. Come on. <laughs> okay? The kingdom of God is the only thing that survives. It's the it's the message of Daniel 2, the statue with the head of gold, remember? The rock hewn without hands grew and grew and grew. Of the kingdom's increase, there is no end. And that rock smashes the statue. That's the same message as Revelation 18 into 19. And we need to understand that when we pursue God and the kingdom, we're pursuing the total package of these seven mountains. People talk about the seven spheres. It's not uh, just Christians running Babylonian systems. That's not the idea. Mm -hmm. We don't just take over and now we run everything, but we run it just like the world does. No, God is saying there's a whole new way of doing business together. There's a whole new way of doing finance together. and As people relating to people, it's Gaylord's message of love. That's why God loves these things, because he wants to see us helping one another. That's real commerce. Not about what do I get out of it. You know, we've business, you go to business school, you're taught how to war. You're taught how to maximize your profit. You're taught how to do things that are not a kingdom style. It is a Babylonian style. No one will argue what is business about. It's about making money. I used to be told, Greg, your job and your anointing is making money. You make your money, you give to the church. That's your job. And the Lord was showing me through these experiences, that's not my idea of the kingdom. It matters as much how you make the money how you do the business as what you do with it. That's the witness. We want to witness to all of creation. We need to witness in the kingdom way in every sphere. And if profit is the number one priority, it becomes what? It becomes the object of our worship. It's the top priority. Was it not Jesus who said you cannot worship mammon and God? you got to choose. So, listen, you may not like this message or you may not agree, but publicly traded corporations are more and more geared towards the profit motive is number one, two, three, and four in the priority. And when we invest in stocks, guess what? We are partnering with that profit motive. Ooh. Ooh, that's that can hurt because it's like wait a minute you mean that there's a corruption at a deeper level than we would ever understand yeah there is and we need to see this for what it is um, part of Revelation 18 is that there was a time where God's people and the bride, were the voice was heard in Babylon, there was a time for the Jewish people to be in Babylon but then there was a time to come out and as the Lord as the Lord's return approaches, there is a call going out to come out of Babylon. And we need to process that and own that for ourselves. This is not a prescription of how do you do it. I don't touch the filthy lucre. Pray, ask God for, to give you insight and revelation. But I'm providing two: an encouragement and a warning. The encouragement is we could trust God even if we have no money. We can do things for the kingdom even if we don't have the budget or the funds raised. You know, Matthew 6.33 does not say, seek first your financing, (laughs) line it up, then you can go on your missions trip and do the kingdom thing and seek after righteousness and then everything else will be taken care of. No, it just says simply, go do what God has called you to do. Go be who God has called you to be and then step into that and watch God work. He can do it. He can provide you millions of dollars like George Mueller was provided. He could provide you the people you need. He could do it with the money or without the money. And this, So the takeaway verse, I think, for this talk with five minutes left is uh, in Deuteronomy and then Jesus quotes it think in Matthew 4, 4, if I'm remembering. But, um, it's this, it's, it's, it's the story even of coming out of Egypt, not just Babylon, coming out of Egypt, the, the Israelites. And they went through wilderness testing. We've been through a wilderness testing in this whole financial cliff and trial. But for what purpose? So that we would learn, man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And bread is also euphemism for money. Okay, so it just represents the natural provision. Man does not live on the natural provision alone. He lives based on the word of God and the power that's behind that word. And so that's that's this message really. There's more to it, but. Coming out of dependency or trust, and I guess I'll say one more thing, which is, most people think of if we have an idolatry issue with money, or we worship money, or it's perceived one would worship money, it has to do with greed. And most Christians can say honestly, I don't have a problem with greed. I'm not greedy. I don't need billions. I don't need. I don't even need hardly anything. I just need enough, and you know, I'm fine. That's easy to talk about. Here's the harder part. And we didn't realize that it was an issue until it became an issue. It's the fear factor. Yes. Mm-hmm. What will I do if I run out of money? Right. Right. What's going to happen if we don't meet our budget? What's going to happen if I can't fundraise? What's going to happen if we can't finance the business? What's going to happen if I don't have this income coming? What's going to happen if the social security system collapses? What's going to happen if? What if? What if? What if? Fear is probably the bigger thing that uh, sort of crouches, hidden cloaked, Mm -hmm. ready to snap, you know, snap up and snatch us and try to get us to worship mammon. If you make a decision, think about it this way, if you have a financial pressure, you have a worry, and your thoughts turn to temptation, you start worrying like, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose my house. This is going to happen. That's going to happen to us. What should I do? What should I do? And you hear a voice that says, oh, just move to such and such, you'll save a lot more money. Oh, you know, the way you could take care of yourself is like this. I'll give you a smart strategy for how to come up with money. The, the problem is that when we do any of those actions, we're actually responding to a voice that's not of the Father. That's not the voice of love. It's the voice of fear. So if we respond in obedience, To fear, and if we're honest with ourselves, we've done this before. I admit to you, I've done it before. When we respond to the fear and take action, what do we do? We're obeying the voice. What did Jesus say? He said, if you obey me, it's a demonstration of your love towards me. So if we're obeying a voice that's not of God, it's one of fear, who do we love? You can't love mammon and God. So it's a warning to us when we respond to fear, take action, we're obedient to a voice that isn't the Father's voice. That's false worship. That's idolatry. That's something we don't like to talk about, think about. We like to think that, hey, America's great. We have a great economy. We have a great entrepreneurialism. God has blessed us. We have what we need. There's a truth to that. God has blessed us, but not unto idolatry, not, a, not unto Baal worship, not unto the Tower of Babel, which relates to pride. Part of this is control and pride. You know, you respond to fear. How do we respond to fear? <clears throat> control. I'm afraid that this will happen, so I'm going to take some action. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to take it into my own hands. That's how we deal with fear oftentimes, right? And so what are we doing? We're, we're, we're not submitting ourselves to a loving Father when we do that. So we need to recognize these things and recognize, wow, we may be deeper in it than we imagine. And this is a message of like Ezra. Okay, So I love my brother, Alan Parker. He's always saying, we need to have the repentance preachers be raised up in America. We need to have people who are willing to preach like Ezra preached. He took a remnant, they read the word, they discovered something that was very common to them, very known to them, it was a part of their culture. They had married, intermarried into the other nations. What did that represent when they were in exile? It represented intermarrying into other gods, like a polytheism type of theology. And guess what? It was very common to pray, and this is the issue of Gideon's Day, to Baal. We'll just do what everybody else does. We'll worship Baal. Baal brings the harvest. Baal brings everything we need. Baal brings us our pleasure. Baal brings us what we want. So let's worship a little bit of Jehovah and a little bit of Baal. And we know at Mount Carmel that didn't work well for the Israelites. That was the demonstration of Elijah. You know, when the between the two altars and he said how much longer Israel will you try to worship Baal if you if Baal is your God worship him if Jehovah is your God worship him and with that I'll leave you and so father we just thank you for this understanding we thank you for our nation we thank you lord that you can turn anything around that you can bring revival and awakening here in New England. You can bring reformation to your church right here in these soils, Lord. We just pray that we would return to your original intent to have a kingdom heart and a holistic approach, even a Hebraic approach, to understanding the kingdom in every sphere and walk of life. In Jesus' name, amen.